On today's episode, we're going to talk about my biggest career regret and how you can avoid it. Hit the music. Put that content down. Content. For closes only. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. Carlton, what did you think of that intro? I I got the music queued up, ready to go. (laughs) We're going with teaser intros these days. Carlton says that we we put the whatever's good from the entire episode, we put into the first 10 seconds. So we didn't do it there. That was a true teaser. Are we rolling? Yeah, I was just going to have. Are we going to (laughs) have Nipsey Hustle at the beginning? That we're... <laughs> no, no, that's we're using our famous our yeah. famous intro music. But today we are going to talk about a regret that I've had in my career, probably you've had in your career. And before we get into that, though, we need to talk about this idea of resistance. So we stole this full disclosure, stole this idea 100 percent from Stephen Pressfield and his book, The War of Art. That's yeah, I thought you were going to say the art of war. We're not talking about Me too. Sun Tzu today. No, no, yeah. no. Stephen Pressfield. Slightly different. And Carlton, maybe you could give your, as an artist, as our resident artist, which we we established last week, how do you think about or define resistance? Yeah, so I, I read this book in college and it was definitely one of those early on books that I read and totally changed the way that I thought, even if I had a hard time putting it into practice. And that really is the definition of the resistance. It's that thing, it's that obstacle, that bear that's in the corner that you have to get through, that you have to that you have to push through to make creative work, to make good creative work. So there's all sorts of things in the book that, that Stephen Pressfield talks about, but really it's this idea that, that creating is an obstacle. And once you get through that obstacle on the other side is an abundance of creativity. Was that good enough? And this really builds. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I think it builds a lot on what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about sort of maybe one of the symptoms that you might run into if you're dealing with resistance, which is a dearth of ideas or specifically when it comes to podcasts, not being sure of where to go to find new ideas to create against. And that could be against anything, not just podcasts. And the the next logical step then is then why am I why am I experiencing that? Why am I experiencing? And a lot of times it's not actually because you don't have ideas. It's because there is something to your point, whether it's a mental block, it's a fear, it's a, I think fear is probably most common. Um, It's a hesitancy of some kind or it's laziness, right? Like it's like, yeah, this is what I do. This is my job, but I'm not trying to think about this all the time. And, And so some of that's legitimate, but it's whatever is blocking you from being able to execute and continue on your creative path, because that's what we all have in common that, that those of us that are creating content here. So let me just start it off by giving you my personal example. I talked about this in the intro, my personal regret. So we started the startup show. Some of you OGs shout out. Remember that Carlton heard the startup show back in the day. And, uh, and you know, the startup show was a kind of haphazard thrown together thing. I had just left Vayner. And so the idea of content creation was obviously extremely forefront on my mind. My Derek, my business partner and I were trying to figure out what we could sell, what we, you know, what services we could develop and sell in order to, to bring in revenue. And as we were doing that, we had this idea, oh, we could work with startups. And so to work with startups, maybe we could, 
you know, have a podcast where we tell their stories. And the first one, man, was so bad. I it actually doesn't exist as an audio. There's only a video Even of better. it. It was you you would cringe, Carlton. It, so we didn't have we didn't have real microphones at all. We had an onboard mic on a Canon camera that we like set up nearby. And then the guest and I shout out Matt Avery Hart, who is a, such a trooper, but stood in front of this very small monitor that had the startup Shop logo on it. And we stood the entire episode. It was so uncomfortable. I was a terrible interviewer. I, we talked about like his college football experience. It was just, it was so, so bad, but that was the start. And the audio was awful. And we put that on Facebook and whatever it kind of, it kind of grew from there, but it did grow. We had on a ton of great guests. I've told this story many times, but Gary V came on the show, which was, you know, extremely generous and kind because we had nothing to offer really in return. And it also, but it also gave us access to a bunch of other authors and speakers and content creators that we wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So we got featured in a bunch of publications. We did a live event at a startup week in, in Chattanooga, which was really fun. And we had all this momentum to the point where we began getting clients, which was the purpose, right? Like that was the objective of our show was to get our name out there so we could develop work for the two of us. And as we started getting clients, we started producing podcasts for some of those clients into, you know, this is really pre-heard, but it was the beginning of what that service would become. And we just got busy. At the time, it was just Derek and I, he was doing all of the visuals, the websites, the, you know, et cetera. I was doing, you know, whatever I could. And the idea of taking time away from servicing clients, which were giving us money, which at the time felt very crucial and, and was to have these conversations with like a loose connection to our bottom line was like, oh, I, I can't do this. I, I've got to I've got to focus on the client work that we've developed. And so we we really kind of lost probably in reality over two years worth of momentum because I stopped recording new episodes. We would republish here and there. We tried to restart a couple of shout times, out digitalism. but not <laughs> shout out digitalism. Yeah. I forgot about that even. So we, we, we had some like false starts, but not with the consistency and the energy that the startup show had. And it, you know, I was doing panels because of the startup show I was, so there was real energy there and we just kind of let that expire entirely. And that all happened. I didn't realize it. But it, because I succumbed to resistance, I let all of these other things distract from continuing to create and continuing to publish. And they're not bad things. I think that's what's so, so difficult about resistance is that it's they're not it's not like I was like, oh, I'm going to go play video games or, you know, go play a sport or something like that. It was like I just let the realities of life become too real versus continuing to have that long term view. So that was, that was my experience with, with succumbing to resistance. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Really the, I'd say the most common shape that resistance takes is procrastination and putting it off. So I think, you know, in my life, especially the times that I'm procrastinating the most are usually some of my most productive times where I'm getting little things done and not, not focusing on the big picture. And so I'll be, you know, making sure this thing is clean, making sure that thing is, you know, my files are organized, my, 
you know, you got all the different things that, that, that fall in that category of, of what you can do to make sure that you don't have to do the scary thing that you have to tackle. So, you know, I, a lot of us, we know this instinctively. We know when we're pushing up against that, that wall of resistance. And then we know when we're doing the easy thing that's on our checklist, but doesn't really have to be done. So hopefully today we can give you guys some good, insightful tips and some practices that will get you through that creative resistance. And after this, you'll be, you know, you'll be a pro at getting through that. Okay. So that's great bridge. Carlton's been, been to podcast hosting school 101, because when we talk about how to overcome resistance, the first concept is you need to treat yourself like a professional. What is it? What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, you got to show up every day. So a, a lot of people that are doing this for their job, you know, they've kind of accepted that, that this is what I got to do nine to five, but let's be honest. Most people. I would say probably 98% of the people listening to our podcast are not professional podcasters, are not people showing up on, mm-hmm. and on their job description is make more content or you know record a podcast. So, you know, you've got to put in the work. You've got to block out the space, the time that you have to create or, you know, practice or put in the work to to make the episodes or to, you know, maybe you're in a little bit different creative field to make the painting or to record the music, whatever it is, you've got to make mm-hmm. the time for that. Yeah. I would say three things here. First of all, I think two, two examples. So Seth Godin, everyone knows, every, most people know of him, I should say. And he's a very visible example of what this can look like. So this doesn't have to be a full production, a full, you know, masterpiece publication that you put out daily, daily, obviously, or even that you work on daily. Seth has his blog that he's posted every single day for a de- over decade, yeah, right? Over, over a years, decade yeah. now. And some of the posts are great and super long and very well thought out. And some of them are two sentences. They're almost tweets, but he is consistent in making sure that he publishes every day. So that's, that's, you know, one example. I would say the second example is closer to home. Our very own Tony Miller, host of the A Quick Time Out podcast. Tony's listening right now as he cleans the church. And he is a great example of this because Tony has a, has multiple full-time jobs. In addition to, he's a professor, he's a basketball coach at a a university, he's a father, teacher, et cetera. And then he's got this very successful media brand, a quick time out that has, he's got 10,000 followers on Twitter, thousand followers on YouTube, thousands of people who listen to his podcast every day. And so for him, it's not just publishing episodes, but it might be, you know, watching a five minute YouTube clip of a new offensive set and then giving his idea or his take on that. It might be, you know, just doing a little bit of research on a new defensive scheme or a drill or something like that, that he makes sure he folds into what he's doing throughout the day. So again, I just want to continue to reinforce, it doesn't have to be that you're publishing every day. You just have to show up and, and, and do some work, even if it's just for five minutes. So for us, you know, we can't publish every day. The, even this twice a week, you know, we, we're seeing how our team is having to adjust and, and, uh, and make processes. So it's just not a reality. But the other thing I wanted to say was to your point that it's not in your job description. And I'm not joking. If you're listening to this, you need to push for it to be in your job description. Like if that's something that you are working on on a regular basis, go and make the business case or email us and we will help you make the business case as to why that should be. I'm a hundred percent serious because We've seen time after time, the creators who are dedicated to this and committed to this, their businesses get to the point where they wouldn't let them quit creating, right? Because it's such a integral part of what they do 
at their role. So just showing up every day and acting as a is is the first step I would say of acting as a professional. The second one I'll just dive into is that you need to have your office. And this could be a mental place, this could be a physical place, this could be a some setup that you have in your backpack that you can like unfold anywhere, but you need to have something that tells your brain, okay, these are my 5 minutes or my 5 hours dedicated to my work as a professional content creator. Yeah. And I don't know if you have an example of, of a way that you do well, this. Perfectly. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's always routine around whatever we do. Like you sit down at that normal place or you, or you go to a certain mindset, even on your computer, there could be different spaces that you can go to. So for me, I, I love to have basically my workspace set up in a way that my, you know, essentially inside my computer, I've got certain things up. And uh, so I do this with, you know, the actual spaces on your computer. Some of the, you that use Mac know, understand that. But I'm, I'm actually, Adam, I'm working on a, a, a full new office right now. I'm building with my bare hands. I'll back in our, in our, in our yard. We're gonna, basically going to be creating a garage and it's got a, a 10 by 12 office that I'm going to, I'm going to be occupying. So hopefully. Garage is such a demeaning term for this thing. This thing looks like a piece of art from from what I've seen so far. But sorry. yeah, so I mean, well, hopefully it looks good and it will be like very curated. The space in there, hopefully we'll be able to like make that our dedicated office that doesn't have like random stuff in it. As you can see in the background, our kids toys in it. So we'll see. Maybe maybe this will make my creative productivity just go through the roof. But I'd say even if you didn't or and you haven't had that your point about even creating a space on your computer that's steady. Like, do you, cause I, cause you have, you know, you have your work with herd, the content is for closure stuff. You have all of your design work and your, your no code development work. So how do you like, let's, let's take no code. For example, how do you switch from creative director at herd Carlton to no code developer, entrepreneur, Carlton, is yeah. there like a space in your computer dedicated? Yeah. I mean, it really starts with opening like a few different programs and more and more stuff nowadays is just your browser, right? So I actually use a dedicated browser. I just use Safari for a lot of the no code stuff and I use Brave for mm -hmm. my normal day to day things. And so by having that different browser open, there's like certain saved bookmarks, certain saved tabs, and I can kind of like have that as a mental completely different space that I can go to. And it's got all those passwords saved. It's got all those, you know, different, different uh, tools in there. That doesn't work for everyone. Some people are using the same thing, but it's just that idea of creating a different space that you can go to and gets you, gets you in that mindset and then committing to that time where you're, you're spending it and doing that. Another thing, like in the productivity world, everyone talks about taking the first step. That's really what we're saying here is take the first step. You know, if, if, make that an easy step, make that something that's very attainable. If it's as easy as opening a certain browser on your computer, you're more likely to continue that. Maybe it's as easy as like, like brewing a cup of coffee and that's how you start things, but, but make that trigger something easy and attainable so that once you start, you're just in the flow. Yeah, that's great. So the first two, just to remember, just to remember what we've said so far is show up every day, make sure you're showing up every day. Number two, set up your office, physical or mental. And the third one is to have, and we've talked about this extensively on, on other episodes, but have a marathon mindset, have the idea that you're showing up every day as a professional for the next two years, you're showing up every day as a creator for the next 18 months, whatever you have that very long mindset as to 
what you're doing and why you're doing it. I have an example of this, but do you have anything, any, any stories right off the bat? Well, I, I think when you say, I'm going to do this for two years, it already puts in your in your head that you're going to play the long game. You have to think about it yeah. as like, like you're not just going to get through this week. This is something that I'm going to commit to as a lifestyle and, you know, continually do each week. What, what are, what are your yeah. examples of this? So, okay. My example, this is going to be just guessing a different personality for this audience, but there's, there's a rapper named Nipsey Hussle. He, well, he's actually passed away now. And if you're not familiar with his music, he was a rapper in Compton, California, and he came up and was pretty notable because his entire career, you know, music, he became an entrepreneur. He did a lot for the community of Compton. His entire career was centered around one thing, which was trying to stem some of the violence in the neighborhood where he was from, Compton, California. And if you know anything about Compton, that's a huge challenge to just decide to to overcome for one individual. And so what he decided at the very beginning of his career as he was coming up as a producer was, you know, I think most rappers are coming up just trying to do whatever they can to hit get a single or to get on with another bigger artist so that their music can be listened to and heard. And he didn't really care about any of that. In fact, while he was alive, he had a few hits right towards the end of his career. But his music, for the most part, wasn't like extremely well known. He wasn't at the very top with some of the the bigger artists that you're probably familiar with, although he was huge. And, and since he died, he his name has gotten even bigger. But the reason for that wasn't because he wasn't skilled. It was because he did everything in such a strategic way to ladder up to his actual objective of of stemming some of this violence. And so he did this in a bunch of different ways, but like he would do things like he would only hire people from his neighborhood to help produce his music. He would provide jobs for for people that he really they didn't really help him specifically. Like he started a couple of clothing stores and a retail center, a strip mall and, and things like that, that had nothing to do with his music brand and probably took away from his ability to create music, but they actually laddered up to his true objective of serving his community. And it wasn't without criticism. It wasn't without, it wasn't without problems. I mean, ultimately he was shot and killed out front of his store. So it's like this super ironic thing. He's there to stop violence. He confronted a gang gang member in the community about some things. Apparently they had a disagreement and the guy shot him. Right. So it's like, he had definitely had people who were against him, but everything he did laddered back to this idea of something bigger than himself. And he was able to continue to, even when his songs wouldn't hit, even when, you know, there was a violent thing that took place or whatever, it was a reminder to him of his mission to end violence as opposed to like, for me, <laughs> the first time somebody threatened me physically, I'd be like, cool, this show's over. I'll never see anybody on the internet again. You know what I mean? Like, but he had this bigger, a North star that allowed him to just continue creating. And for him, it was a career, a career long and actually a lifelong pursuit. So it was, it was more than just 18 months or two years. Yeah. And so let's get like practical for a second, because you've got people creating content and I think the the fear that everyone has within con content creation is a is anybody does anyone care about this or you know is, is anyone even listening? That's I think that's like a big thing to overcome. And I think the 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 second thing that's just as big is and if they do, are they going to hate it? Are they going to criticize me? Are they going to you know you know basically think that I'm terrible? And and that's something that you have to get over from a mindset perspective. But I think 
if you're if you're taking that long term mindset, you're you're saying I'm doing this not just for today. This is just practice for where I'll arrive eventually. If you think about it, it, it all rides on that first episode, like you were talking about, Adam, where where you're you're you don't know what you're doing. You're standing there. That is a barrier of entry to get to the hundredth episode. Every single episode or every single podcast that has a hundred episodes had a first, second, third, fourth, fifth podcast that probably wasn't that great or, or probably was terrible. And and they had to get through that. They had to press forward and, and get, get to that point where they were good at it and had, had enough practice to to do it well. So I, I think yeah. people that are creating content, it's putting yourself a little bit on a schedule. So we always recommend people do it once a week. That's that's a very attainable, you know, something that is is very cyclical. Publish yeah, once publish a once a week. So yeah. You're maybe working on it a few times throughout the week, but essentially you're committing to a date, a time where every single week it's going to come out and be pu- pushed to the RSS feeds. And it's amazing, Adam, the people who say, I'm not, I'm not going to miss that, who, who are committed to that. They have an incredible run as opposed to people who are like, mm. eh, let's just do it. Like whenever we have an episode, we're probably going to get like five a year, maybe six. Yeah. So you know, put yourself on that schedule, be committed to it. And at the end of the year, you're going to have almost 50, epi- you know, maybe a little more than 50 episodes, which is something that if you've done 50 episodes of something, you're going to have an incredible amount of experience that that's very like you've developed your craft enough after doing it 50 times. Yeah. You know what else you're going to have if you develop, if you publish 50 episodes? What? Haters. You're going to have some people. They're either going to be in your company. They're going to be in your audience. Somebody is going to say something negative about what you create if you create and put out something 50 times. And so the fourth step, the fourth part of overcoming resistance is being able to not take criticism personally. And you notice I didn't say ignore criticism. I didn't say like silence the critics or (laughs) any of those things, but being able to not take it personally. I'll give you another example per, from from the startup show days. We got, like I said, some early momentum and there would be videos that, you know, would have tens of thousands of views or 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 more or listens because of especially depending on who the guest was that we had on. And so we started seeing lots of comments and me, I started seeing lots of comments because I'm paying attention to it cuz yeah, it's me that's yeah. on the thing. And you know, Two stuck out in particular. I just told this story on a podcast with Kyle Laskowski from Crossing Broad. Two of them stuck out in particular. The first was this guy, he put on multiple videos that that I had done or that I had been in. He put on them, why does this dude keep wearing medium black t-shirts? For the record, I wear medium, okay? Uh, I've always worn medium t-shirts. And uh, your boy does some curls, (laughs) all right? Like I'm not... I'm not trying to, I wasn't wearing small. It just is what it is. My, my guy probably over there with noodle arms clearly was feeling attacked by just me being like, okay, I'll admit it, you can tell me. I was the one. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell all this time. It still bothered me. It still bothers me. But that was one. The second was, and this came out in a few different ways, was something like, who's this wannabe Gary V or who's this mini Gary V guy? And in fairness, I think I probably leaned too hard at the time into, you know, the style that he promoted because I didn't have my own, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have anything. About it. So that one was sort of valid, but I think being able to not take those things personally and instead to flip them and say, wait, I don't know these two fools. 
and they're taking the time to comment on on this thing that I made. So they're paying. They, they they watched enough to know that like I'm acting pseudo Gary V ish, or they watched long enough to take notice that no, the the kid is doing some serious work in the weight room, you know? And so being able to just not take those things personally is very, very difficult by the fact that I'm bringing them up five years later, but it is crucial to being able to overcome resistance. How how have you had to deal with this? You know, I would say that this idea of being criticized or, you know, just having having people think it's not good that's that's honestly what has kept me from being a like like shying away from social media or even this podcast not wanting to get on screen adam has to like twist my arm and and give me a a massive bonus just to show up here you know but but i think it just shows up in this this like thing in the back of your mind that's saying like oh what you have to say is not that good or not that important and just ignore that. Get get over that point and and say to yourself, if I do this, eventually good things will come. Because that's so much of what creativity is, is putting in that work. And so you get to the point where you have this body of work or you have this things, this body of things that you've created and and good things will come out of that if if you do it enough. Um, so yeah, I don't have a specific example. Well, okay, I, I'll go there. I actually do. So in college, I was in ceramics. And, uh, you know, as, as our students do, they take ceramics and I had created this, this bowl, the set of bowls for my, my brother and sister's wedding. And, uh, you know, I wasn't very good. I, I was an average, I wasn't, I wasn't a 3d major. I was a 2d major. So I was just doing this for fun. And somebody walks into the studio and you've got everything drying there, you know, so it's all kind of out. And I was just kind of in the corner and there's these two girls that picked up my bowl and they're like, I'm sorry for whoever has to, you know, basically they like, oh, like wow. in front of me, just criticize my work and, and it was rough, but, uh, you know, I went home a couple of years ago, was visiting, visiting family and my sister still has those bowls. So it was one of those things wow, where I, I think, you know, it's not, it probably was terrible. It probably was bad, but I know that that like was one of those things where it was a struggle to hear that. And, and even just thinking about like, oh man. You know, I can't tell you how many times that idea of, of when I'm creating something, the idea that somebody's going to stand there and criticize it is is just a, a big shutdown factor. And then those two girls applied for jobs here years later and didn't realize that you who where you were. And, Shut it uh, down. We, yeah, we didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, great examples. Well, so just to recap, the four steps to overcoming resistance: turning pro, treating your job like the like the job that it is, your work like the job that it is. Show up every day. Have an office mentally or physically. Make sure you're taking the long view, the marathon mindset, and don't take criticism personally. Before we wrap, Carlton, do do we have a tweet of the week? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Do you do you have your tweet of the week, okay. or you want me to go? I, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go. So, a uh, friend of the show, which is crazy to say, Ben Wilson this week. Ben Wilson of My First Million fame, who, by the way, got. Did you see he got Mr. Yeah. Beast? Yeah. Like cold call. Well, did you what hear the episode thing. where they pretty much quoted our podcast? No, but I haven't. I did. Basically, he, you know, this is this is small time right here. But Sam, or I think it was Sean, was like referenced the clip that we made. He's like, "Yeah, hey, I saw this. Let's this go." Clip. Didn't even see. And he's that. like, in the in the clip, you talk about and basically quotes Ben. But we made the clip and we made gotcha. we made that happen. So your boys made the clip. <laughs> That's, we're talking about my first million, if you don't know, top uh, podcast in the world. So cool. Yeah. Ben did this, did this little tweet and he said, I'm going to do, so if you don't know, 
Ben produces his own show. And in, in addition to producing my first million, it's called how to take over the world. And it's essentially, he, he like talks about the lessons learned from like Napoleon and people, conquerors, Alexander the great, whoever. And he said, I'm going to do an episode where the only takeaway is remember, be yourself and never stop dreaming. And then it turns out that the whole episode is about a bad guy like a six hour deep dive on the torture techniques of Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> and the takeaway is, and in conclusion, remember, be yourself and never stop dreaming. And I thought that was pretty good. So much of the stuff that you hear, especially on social and stuff, is like that type of like feel good takeaway. And we never think about like, okay, but what if they're terrible? Yeah, human yeah, yeah, you know, like, you don't think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's funny. So this one is coming from another friend of the show, Steph Smith. So she she's a pretty prolific content creator. She she just basically puts out some, it has this tweet that she says, rare jobs that are likely to become less rare. I mean, it's just interesting to think about this as like a framework, right? So this probably could have been a thread, but she kept it in, in enough characters that it wasn't. So VR designer, trend spotter, digital stylist, solar installer, robot eth ethnicist ethicist there we go okay robot ethicist right. cyber actuary esports coach virtual surgeon head of remote satellite engineer automation officer and genetics counselor i just thought it was a creative and then she asked what else so that is kind of a creative thing if, if you think about all of those careers they're all, all on the edge of a budding industry and I, I think, you know, especially when you're thinking about content and the way that you create content and what niches you can create within, just having random, you know, tidbits of thinking about new areas or new industries and the way that they'll affect content is interesting to think about too. Hopefully Steph listens to this episode and to the fourth point about not taking criticism personally, because I hate that tweet. I hate all of the ideas behind it. I know that's not really her. She didn't invent it, but that all terrifies me. And with that, Thank you for listening to Curmudgeons Are for Closers. Carlson, anything to leave the people with? I think that's it, man. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.